Well, good morning. We are in week three of a series called Things That Stick, and excited today to jump into uh, the Bible once again. We're going to be in 2 Timothy. hope you brought a Bible with you. In just a few minutes, we're going to open it up and uh, read it in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And as you are turning there, I, one, want to just thank you for being here. Great crowd today, especially uh, as you brave the Arctic to get in here. I appreciate that. And I'm sure over in our sanctuary, we've got a great crowd too, so grateful uh, for them as well. Hey, I want to promote something. Believe it or not, uh, Easter is right around the corner, I think nine or ten Sundays from now, which may sound like an attorney, and there's a lot to do between now and Easter. I do want us to be preparing our hearts for what is such a critical day in the life of a believer of Jesus. And so I've started something this spring. I'm just simply calling it Clay's Book Club. You probably got an email about that. If, if you want to read a book with us, you, you may or may not be a big reader. This is a great book, The Cross of Christ by John Stott. I talk about John Stott all the time up here. Um, great book. I want you to go to the Hub, which is on our website, and learn more. And if you want, sign up to be a part of this book club as we're reading together. Uh, would love to do that as we get our minds and hearts focused heading towards the Easter, Easter season. I, I heard a quote one time, I don't know who said this, but they were talking about evangelism, the mission that we're all called to, and they said this. They said evangelism is basically one beggar telling another beggar where he has found bread. I, I love that idea because it's so easy when we think about mission and living for Jesus and all the things that he's called us to do. It's so easy to think merely in terms of duty or I have to do this or God's commanded me to do this or I better go, all, all those things when at the core of following Jesus is this satisfaction to say, I've, I've found bread in Jesus. I have found joy and satisfaction in Jesus. God has wired it so that Every single one of you, we, we talked about with the kids being on the stage, uh, that this is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. God, God has made it such that every single one of you is made in his image, which means you have desires that God has put into you, whether you know it or not, that are ultimately and only found in God. Now, we use the language around here of truth, belonging, and purpose, and that's a good way to talk about it, that you long for truth, you long for belonging, you long for purpose, and those things are ultimately and only found in Jesus. So disciple-making, discipleship, which is the heart of this series, is rooted in this satisfaction that we have in Jesus. And we, we want other people to find that bread. We want other people to have the same satisfaction. And that's the heart behind this series. We, we would love to see a culture of disciple-making weave its way through the people of Johnson Ferry. I think it's going to look different for everybody based on a whole number of factors, but that they are all learning to not only be his disciple, but to be a disciple maker, which is why we gave you a definition. Now, I know Bobby already mentioned that today, but it's worth repeating. And hopefully maybe by week three, you're starting to learn a little bit of it, maybe even have it memorized by now. I would love in both rooms if we could just say this definition together. We've said it lots of times, but let's just say it again together as we're getting this into our mind. So let's all say it together. A disciple is one who has found Jesus, is following the ways of Jesus, and is leading others to do the same. 
You found Jesus. That's that moment of conversion. But daily, whether you've been a believer for a year, a month, or 50 years, you are still following the ways of Jesus. But here's the great hurdle. A lot of people stop there. They never cross the bridge over into leading others to do the same. Which is why last week we unpacked how Jesus made disciples and calls us to make disciples. And he's the pattern for being a disciple maker. So if you want to know how it works, look at Jesus. Yet he's called us to do that. And there's lots of ways to do that. So I thought, when I think about the church and how we make disciples, it often happens in three environments, three types of settings. And maybe the best way to think about this is to use a golf illustration. So let's set up the scene. We're going to play today in, uh, let's play Pebble Beach. All right. That's a bucket list item of mine. We're going to play Pebble Beach. All right. So we get out our clubs and, and you got a whole bag of clubs. We got three basic clubs, right? You have, you have what they used to call a, a wood. Why they call it a wood? Because when I hit it, it goes in the woods. That's why we call this, they uh, actually used to be made of woods. But the driver is used to launch the ball off the tee and you cover a lot of ground. So if I could borrow that, I think about preaching and teaching, especially from a stage and from a big group of people, this is almost like using a driver. I don't know all of you. I don't know your situations. I don't know even some of your names, but, but there's a way in which we can teach the Bible and say the things of God, and it covers a lot of people, a lot of ground. And this is certainly a part of the disciple-making experience. This is like using a driver would. Now, of course, when you get closer to the hole, you're going to pull out an iron. And there's more variables here. Because if you play golf, you know that you have to look at the distance and the wind and how the course is shaped. And you have to decide, do I play a seven iron or an eight iron or a six iron? What, what club do I pull out? And in a way, a lot of the groups that we have at a church might be like an, like an iron. A lot of our connect groups are like this. They're they range in size with different people, different life experiences. There's a place for someone to come in who doesn't know anybody. There's a place for people to come who have known people for a long time. And you can ask questions and get feedback and talk about the things of Jesus and fellowship and all those things. And, and those are important parts of the disciple-making process. But as we go to golf, probably the most important and most neglected club is the putter. Most people don't go and practice their putter. Now, we love to go to the driving range and see if we can smash some, you know, ball way down the, the fairway, you know, using a, using a driver. But we spend very little time using what is probably the most important club. Now, professional golfers have an old saying that says, you drive for show, but you putt for dough. In other words, yeah, people love to see somebody crush the ball down the fairway, but the men and women who are the most successful professional golfers are usually the best with this club. And it's often the most neglected club. Now, in disciple-making in a church, just again, barring this as a, an analogy, this is that really small group. Maybe it's one-on-one, -on -one, maybe it's two, three, four, maybe five people. But within this group, there is great trust and accountability. And you really know people. You, you can't just be a stranger. There's a sense of commitment. And this, I would say, is probably the most important group when it comes to disciple-making and probably, like the putter, the most neglected. So while there's a room for all three, in a way, our series of disciple-making is trying to help you 
to be a part of small group disciple making in the places where you live, you work, you learn, and you play. Now that sounds good, but a lot of us don't do it. And today we're going to talk about some of the reasons that we don't do that. But before we do, Let's look at one of the classic texts on disciple making. I love this in 2 Timothy. So I asked you to turn there a minute ago. We're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. And 2 Timothy is a, a book where Paul, someone older in the faith, is writing to someone that he has discipled, a protege of his, Timothy. And Paul is writing this from a jail cell. And yet he's encouraging Timothy as he's now taking on a leadership role. Let's read verses 1 through 7 in chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2. And if you have it in front of you, uh, would you stand? I'd love to read this for you. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 7. This is what Paul says. You, therefore, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him. And if someone likewise competes as an athlete... He is not crowned as victor unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. God, that's our prayer, that you would give us understanding in everything that you want us to pull out of this text, in everything that you want to challenge us, maybe even convict us of when it comes to being a disciple maker for Jesus. Lord, use this time for your glory. And we'll pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Again, I, I love this text. It's such a classic text in disciple making. And I think so important. The context is so vitally important. Right here, the verse 1 Paul is telling Timothy, you therefore my son. Interesting that he uses that familiar t familial term, son. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace. You know, you never get over God's grace. Did you know that? You know, often we think about grace as something that we really need when, when we're born again, we're converted. I mean, we sing the song, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We tend to think about, yeah, grace is this idea that I was a sinner, I was going this way, and then God changed my life, and I turned around, and I came to him, and he changed me, and I received his grace, his forgiveness, and, and certainly grace is forgiveness. But in a more general way, the grace of God is the power of God to do in you what you don't have the strength to do on your own. That, that's what the grace of God is all about. And we never, we never outgrow the grace of God. We ever out, out need the grace of God. The, the, the core of the gospel is the grace of God. We're saved by grace, but we grow in grace. God's grace motivates us to serve him. His grace sustains us in our trials. When we are needy, we are invited to God's throne to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. 
We're told to fix our hope completely on the grace to be brought about when Jesus Christ returns. Grace, grace. We need the grace of God. Paul's telling Timothy, be strong in the grace. Why? Why? Because if, if you read uh, verse 8 of chapter 1, you see that Paul is suffering. He's suffering sitting in a jail cell for being a disciple maker, for being on mission with Jesus. And he's encouraging his son in the faith to have the same strength, to be just as reliant on the grace of God as he is. Now, the Bible tells us a little bit about Timothy. You can read about him in Acts 16. I, I believe it was on his second missionary journey where Paul met Timothy. And, he, and we find out that Timothy's mom was a, a Jewish lady. Um, I think her name is Eunice. His grandmother, by the way, is Lois. They had to be from the South, right? Like Lois and Eunice. Those are, those are Timothy's mom and, and uh, grandma. Uh, his dad was a Greek, which is probably Paul's way of saying he was not a believer. And, and it's interesting that Timothy was a product of a mixed marriage, you know, a Jewish person being married to a Greek. And um, it's just interesting. But, but Timothy becomes a disciple of Paul. And Paul's reminding him, hey, I'm suffering, but have the same strength as you lead and do ministry for, for me, or for, like me, for Jesus. And in verse 2, we have this classic text. You almost always read this if you talk about discipleship, disciple-making. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. I love this idea of four-generation disciple-making. Or discipleship. Did you see it there? Paul says, Timothy, the things which you have heard in the presence of many witnesses. What are those things? Well, the things is probably a way of talking about the gospel and the things of Jesus and following the ways of God and understanding who he is and, and all the things that we do. And it probably happened in all these environments. There were times where Timothy watched Paul talk to a big group of people, right? There, there were times where, you know, Paul maybe talked to just a small group of people, maybe in a house somewhere, and then, of course, there was those one-on-one -on -one settings or maybe two or three people. Maybe it was Paul and Silas and Timothy, and Paul's really pouring the things of Jesus into him. The, thing, the things which you have heard in the presence of many witnesses, here's what I want you to do. Entrust them. That's a word for caretaking. Being a caretaker of the gospel and the things of Jesus to faithful people or faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do you see the four generations? All right, so first generation is Paul. And he teaches the things of Jesus to Timothy. Timothy is to entrust the things of Jesus to faithful people. And faithful people are to entrust the things of Jesus to others that they will teach one day. You see the four generations? Paul, Timothy, faithful people, others. Someone once told me about parenting. They said the best way to see the results of your parenting are to watch your grandchildren. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's true or not. Well, I guess I'll have to find that out one day. But I do know, spiritually speaking, that when it comes to disciple-making, we have to be thinking about who are our spiritual grandchildren in the faith. We're pouring the things of Jesus into this person, but the goal is that this person would pour it into someone else who would pour it into someone else. Four generations of disciple-making. And we have to do that with resolve, with strength. Paul uses, in the next few verses, three word pictures that help us to get at that. Um, he talks about being a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Maybe one of those resonates with you. A soldier. 
I know some people love that, you know, the spiritual war of life. You know, I'll be a warrior for Jesus, right? All right, if that's your thing, cool. And he says, be like, be like a soldier who lives to please the one who has enlisted him. If, if you're an active military person, you understand this tension of like, you got this family and kids, but you also have a commanding officer and a government to which you pledge your loyalty. And you are to be single-minded in your devotion towards that cause. That's, that should be your attitude when it comes to ministry and mission and disciple-making. That's for everybody. I'm not just talking about a pastor. Talking about if you're a follower of Jesus, be like a soldier. Or be like an athlete, he says who cannot win the crown unless he competes according to the rules. Now, I don't think Paul just means, hey, don't, don't cheat in life. You know, like, you know, when uh, baseball pitchers now, they come off the mound and the umps have to check them for pine tar and things. They're not, you know, throwing the ball illegally. I don't think that's what Paul means. I think he's saying, that, look, there, there are rules that you will have to adjust to to be effective in ministry. A few weeks ago, uh, I went to see that movie, The Boys in the Boat. Have y'all seen that movie? It's a great movie. I love that movie for all kinds of reasons. But it was a movie about these, these men from uh, University of Washington who learned to crew, you know, in a boat together. And they had to adjust to one another and adjust to the boat. They had to learn the rules, the ways to be successful and depend on one another. And I think Paul's saying that to Timothy. Hey, be like an athlete who competes according to the rules. Or, he says, thirdly, be like a farmer. I don't know if we have any farmers in the house. Uh, it is funny to me, like how many people in COVID thought, you know, I'm so sick of the city life. We're going to go buy this farm. And it sounded so romantic until they were, you know, scooping up their first pile of, you know, but anyways, but <laughs> they thought, let's sell that. Like that wasn't nearly as fun as we thought it was going to be because it's hard work and farming is beautiful, but it is slow. Did you know that disciple making is beautiful, but it is slow. And see, we love the fast pace, like, what's the thing? What's the, 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 but it's slow, yet there's a reward. Paul tells Timothy, be strong in the grace. Teach others, like a soldier, an athlete, a farmer. And then verse 7, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. <laughs> I love that verse as a preacher, because I depend on verses like that. I mean, there. Look, the whole, the whole deal of preaching, look, I, I know that when it comes to disciple making, most of y'all don't do what I do, you know, to use the driver, if you will, to talk to big groups of people, all right? I, I get that, but it is part of disciple making. I don't think it's even the best part. I would say the putter is better than this, but this is part of, of what it is that we do. Uh, and this is a strange thing we do every week, right? There are some weeks where I'm preaching to you and I'm thinking, honestly, Clay, this is really good. Like, you sound really great right now. This is, you know, this is... It's pretty good, right? I mean, this is really good. And then, and then like nothing, crickets, like no, you know what I mean? And there's some weeks where you're thinking, Clay, this is really awful. Like, like I, like I'm, I'm putting myself to sleep right now. Like you can't see it, but, and those are the weeks, right? Where someone comes up to me, it was amazing. I can't believe, you know, every week I'm thinking, God, I have, I don't know how this works, how this whole preaching thing works. I have no idea. But I, I do know that, that the Lord is working and he will teach you. What a great principle of disciple making. Guess what? It's not all about you. <laughs> it's about God working through you and his grace being evidenced in working through you. So this series has been about how, how do we not only follow the ways of Jesus, but lead others to do the same. And that's a huge hurdle. It's a huge hurdle. And you, and you know the reason I know that? 
is because when I ask you the question, who are you discipling? Most of you would say no one. So why is that? Why is that? And I'm talking to me too. There are many times where I'm not discipling anybody, at least not in the way that we watched Jesus last week make disciples. So let's talk about that. I want to give you five reasons why a lot of us are not making disciples. There are probably more than these five. There are probably better ones than these five. But these are five that I often hear. These are five that sometimes I use as excuses. And I just wonder if maybe God wants to speak into this and even convict some of you, challenge you when it comes to these five things. Let's just talk about five reasons we don't typically make disciples. All right, number one, we never really think about it. We, we just, we don't think about it. Somebody said this, if you aim at nothing, you hit it every single time. Have you noticed that? And when it comes to this vision of disciple making, a lot of us have never really aimed at it. A lot of you have never even heard about it. Jesus Christ had a constant vision to make disciples. I think about the prayer that he prayed in John 17, which is this beautiful prayer we call the high priestly prayer. It's the real Lord's prayer. I know we call the other one the Lord's prayer. You know, our fathers are in heaven. That, yeah. But really, John 17, that's the Lord's prayer. And, and in that Lord's prayer, he prays this in verse 4. He says, I glorified you on the earth by accomplishing the work which you have given me to do. Now, that's, that's straight from the lips of Jesus. And it's beautiful and it sounds good. But isn't it interesting that he's saying this before he's died on the cross? He's saying this before he has risen from the grave? He's saying this before he's given the Holy Spirit? I think what he's referring to here is, God, you, you have given me the task of selecting these men who he would call the apostles, but disciples at large, that he would invest in and prepare to do ministry after his departure, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I, I have accomplished the work that you have given me to do because Jesus had a vision for disciple making. A lot of you, let's be honest, have never had a vision for disciple making. You never really thought about it. A lot of you, if we're able to really have a culture of disciple making at John's Ferry, you will be first generation disciple makers. Because I'm going to ask you to, to give something that you didn't receive. A, a lot of you were never discipled in the ways of Jesus. A lot of you have been discipled purely in the way of big, big you know, stage preaching. But if you're going to be discipled in the ways of Jesus, you're going to have to give something that you, you didn't get for most of you. I think about a guy in college that was a huge influence in my life that really helped me to follow Jesus in a much more profound way. And I think about his life and how much he loved Jesus and the joy he had. And he discipled me. We didn't use that language, disciple, but I mean, we, he was intentional with me uh, in the things of God and scripture and prayer and, and just asking me some challenging questions. And I think about his life. This is a guy who grew up product of a broken home. Neither one of his parents were, were believers certainly didn't disciple him. And I think this is a guy who's doing something that he didn't get from his parents or anybody else. And my life is changing. So even if you didn't get this growing up or get this in your Christian life, I pray that you will give this to somebody else. So we often 
Just don't think about it. But you know what? After this series, you know what you can't do? You can't claim ignorance anymore. Now you are on the hook for disciple making because you've heard about it. Not from my lips, hopefully, but from the life of Jesus. But we don't think about it. What's another reason that we don't often make disciples? Number two is that we're asking the wrong question. We're asking the wrong question. I know that for me as a leader, I think about disciple making, I tend to think about it when it comes to strategy. What's the strategy and the, and the, and the how and the where and how long and, and all, all these kinds of questions. We, we often ask the questions that consumers ask. And that question is what's next instead of the right question, which is who's next. Think about the way we follow Jesus. We, hey, what, hey, what's the next thing? What's the next sermon series? What's the next book? What's the next program? What's the next event? What's the next strategy? What's next? What's next? What's next? What, give, me, give me the new thing. You know what you should be asking? Who's next? Who's the next person I can pour into? Who's the next small group that I can lead? Who's the next people that I can disciple? Who's the next person that I can take all these things I have learned in my following of Jesus and pour them into the lives of others? Which means if we're going to do this missionally, you have got to be around people who don't know Jesus. Now, for a lot of people, that is hard to do. Um, And in in our culture today, that's hard to do because there's such a divide and a gap between believers. I mean, I'm talking about genuine, like real believers in Jesus and those who aren't. There's a huge gap when it comes to values and culture and language and just, but isn't that the way of Jesus? That he always was with people who are considered outcast sinners. In uh, Matthew chapter nine, we read the story about when Jesus came to Matthew's house, the tax collector. It says this, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax collector's office, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and began dining with Jesus and his disciples. Time out, time out. When's the last time the equivalent of tax collectors and sinners came to your house to dine with you? We keep going, and and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Now go and learn what this means. I desire compassion rather than sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Practically speaking, it just means that we've got to find time. We've got to be intentional with our schedules to try to be around people who don't know Jesus. And that's tough at times, that's frustrating at times. There might be ways where that's not healthy if maybe they're leading you into sin, but to be a disciple maker on mission, you're gonna have to be around people who don't know Jesus. So we ask the wrong question. All right, number three, basic one, we don't know how to disciple. Again, many of you have never had this in your life. You don't know how to do it. I would say that Jesus is the best teacher. You can go back last week and watch the message again and just maybe once again visit this idea of how did Jesus make disciples, as we talked about. Um, But I want to give you just some practical things that will help. One are some books that can say this way better than I can. Three classics. You can see them on the screen here. Um, The Training of the Twelve by A.B. Bruce. So great. Written in the 1800s. Uh, The Master Plan of Evangelism. 
written maybe 30 years ago, Robert Coleman, a classic. And then a newer one that I thought was really helpful too, 180, Jeff Vanderstelt. Three great books, and there are other ones that can teach us to disciple like Jesus did. But in a, in a just super basic way, I thought about what's it look like to disciple somebody? And here's just a super basic acrostic of just some basic principles, all right? I said find, because if a disciple starts with finding Jesus, helping others find Jesus, fine. I just put, I thought about four ideas. The F is for friends. Start with the people that are already in your life, your friends, the people at the gym, the people uh, at your work, the people in your kids' uh, travel ball team, you know, the, the people um, that you see just every single day. Friends, start with the people in your life. And, and God, start praying about God, give me, give me a heart to see and eyes to see and lead me to the people you want me to disciple. Then the I is intentional. All right, you got to do more than just kind of be a nice person in their presence. You've got to be intentional. Now, it'd be awesome if all you had to do was be nice, right? Wouldn't it be great? Like, if, if, the, if the role to witness to people was simply just, I'm going to just be nice to them. But I've noticed in my life that I can be nice to people and they generally don't come up to me and go, you know, you were so nice to me. Could you tell me if I was going to die tonight, would I go to heaven or hell? Could you tell me about that? Like most people, they don't say that. The intentionality is often on your part to bring up the things of Jesus. And if they're lost, to have a gospel conversation. Maybe they are saved, but to help them. And that gets to the end, the next step. Just praying, God, how do I help this person take their next step to walking with you? And there are a lot of different ways, but just allowing God to lead you. And then duplicate. Like the four-generation deal, the goal is one day that they will do with someone else what you did with them in the way of Jesus. So learn, learn. This is a skill to be developed. No one is just born a natural disciple maker. You have to learn to do it. All right, fourth reason that most of us don't make disciples. This one I think we hear most of the time, especially here in East Cobb, in our kind of hard-charging, ambitious world. We don't have time, right? You're thinking, I mean, that, I mean, Clay, that sounds great. Disciple people, spend time with them, invest in them, have them over for dinner, you know, be involved in your neighbor. I, that sounds great, but like, I don't have time to do that because I got a super crazy life. My kids had 17 practices this week, right? I'm trying to go to the gym, be healthy. I'm trying to have a little me time, you know, just to kind of like get my mind straight. And it was just all the things that we, doctor's visits. I got all this stuff I got to do. And I, I'm not denying any of that. At the same time, can I tell you what is true for every single person in here? You will make time for the things that are important to you. You do it all the time. I don't know how it works, but somehow if your health is important to you, you make time for it. If your money is important to you, you make time for it. We can go down the list. A lot of us don't make time for disciple-making because it is not important to us. And I pray that in time, you will see just how much it matters to the heart of God. Let me give you a scary verse. Can I do that? Of course I can. I got the microphone. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Here it is. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body in accordance with what he has done, whether good or bad. I don't think that verse is meant to scare you. It is meant to say, one day you will stand from the judgment seat of Christ as a believer. 
and give an account for how you lived your life. Dawson Trotman, who is founder of The Navigators, he one time said, I love this, only, the, only three things are eternal. You know what they are? Three things are eternal. God, his word, and the souls of men and women. And that should be where we invest most of our time. God, his word, and the souls of men and women. All right, number five. Why is it that many of us don't make disciples? Well, because for many of us, number five, we are embarrassed about our lives. We're embarrassed about our lives. And what I mean by that is that you think, I mean, let's be, I, I have so much junk in my life, so many struggles, so many sins that I still do. And you, you want me to pour into others when, when I'm so jacked up myself? You know, how, how, how would I do? And look, maybe there, maybe there is a small group of you that I would say, honestly, your life is so unhealthy right now that you, you need to learn to follow the ways of Jesus long before you would ever lead anyone to do the same. But here's the other side of the coin. I became a follower of Jesus when I was 10. So I was a little guy, and I was grateful that I grew up in a home where Jesus was talked about, though I would say I probably wasn't until college that I really started, you know, following Jesus. Or maybe I should say it, I had to pay a social cost to follow Jesus in college, so maybe I felt it in a different way. But I've been walking with Jesus now for 35 years, and I look back and I think about all the amazing things that God has done in my life. But then I also think about all the ways I still fall short. How about you? I mean, the sins that I still do, the struggles I still have, the hurdles I still have to jump over. And it is a daily reminder that I still need the grace of God. Can I tell you that disciple making at its core was never meant to be just some box you check or some command you follow. It's an adventure to follow Jesus. <laughs> That's what it's supposed to be like. It's an adventure to, to kind of just let the Holy Spirit lead you and say, you know, God, who is it you want to lead me to? Who's the person? You lead me to that person, you know, and give, give me insight by the Spirit of who it is you want me to disciple. And then once you lead, God, what do I say? And what do I do? And yeah, I'm going to prepare. Yeah, I read the Bible. Yeah, I'm going to have a plan, all that. But God, at the same time, I want to say, you lead me to what you want me to do and say and invest in this person's life. God, I'm living on mission with you. I'm dependent upon you. I'm dependent upon your Spirit. One of the reasons that so few of us disciple others is because we're trying to do it in our own flesh and power instead of depending on the grace of Christ. But God says, let me work through you. Let me use you to change a life for eternity. And that's our hope and prayer. Uh, somebody once said that, you know, leaders take responsibility, non-leaders make excuses. Let's be leaders in the ways of Jesus. For a lot of you, that begins with that initial step of conversion, of being born again, of trusting Jesus, that his death, his burial, his resurrection was done in your place so that you might attain the righteousness of God that only comes through Christ. 
and that you might be filled with his spirit and that he is the Lord of your life and that you're following him. You know how ridiculous it is to call Jesus Lord and not do what he tells you to do? But that's what God's calling some of you to do. But God's also calling most of you who are already followers of Jesus to be involved in the mission. Stop doing just the, hey, I'm coming to church and just learning and listening. Like that's a role to play, but get in the game and be involved and, and serve and, and jump into this mission of God of making disciples and seeing lives change for eternity. That's the only thing that's eternal. God, his word, and the souls of men and women. And we invest so much of our time in things that simply do not matter. So let's give our hearts to the Lord and ask for him to move and for us to build our life on him. I love to pray for you in that way. Would y'all pray with me? Father, I just come to you right now. And, and Lord, I start out by just thanking you that you are Lord, that you're God. And Lord, I ask for forgiveness for myself for so many others where we have made secondary things, primary things, and they have distracted us from the most important thing. Lord, a lot of us are making excuses. And Lord, I'm, I'm not trying to shame anybody. I, I'm just talking to myself here. We make excuses. But God, would you reign and rule in our life? Lord, if there's anyone here today who needs their heart, who needs to give their life and heart to Jesus and be saved, to be born again, to come alive, God, would that happen right now in this moment by your spirit? And God, would you challenge and convict all of us who are followers of Jesus to not only follow the ways of Jesus, but to lead others to do the same. That's what you did, and that's what you want us to do. So help us to build our life on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.